Well, I've got a sermon today that I'm very curious to see how this goes. God downloaded something to me that was clear but strange. And so this is not a typical sermon for me. It might feel a little bit all over the place. It might totally change by the next gathering, depending on how you respond. (laughs) But I just didn't feel like we needed to move on from Easter. I didn't feel like the message, Christ is victorious, was complete by any means. Because resurrection is not the end of the story for a believer. It's really a new beginning. And so I don't have a sermon title other than Christ is Victorious Part 2, if you want to call it that. You want to call it the remix? You can call it that. In fact, look at somebody next to you and say, this is the remix. This is the remix. We're going to talk about even more of what we talked about last week. What we talked about on Easter Sunday was that Jesus' victory over sin and death and the grave becomes our victory in our lives personally, that we actually get an invitation to walk in. So Easter Sunday is not a holiday where we just look back and take cute pictures of our family and go, he is risen, he is risen indeed. No, Easter Sunday is actually the foundation of our faith, and it's the opportunity we have to live in a resurrected life for the rest of our days. You actually get permission to walk in a new level of abundance of life and freedom and peace and purpose for the rest of your life because of resurrection. And so I want to go right back there and talk about what it means for Jesus to be victorious. And I want to invite you into living that every day of your life. It was so interesting last week talking about Jesus' victory over death, over Satan. He's the atoning sacrifice. He's the propitiation for our sins in heaven. And you, you hear words like that, and it's all so lofty, and it's these major theological ideas. But then to package it in such a way where It all comes down to whether or not you focus the attention of your mind and the affection of your heart on Jesus today. Like walking in that resurrection life is on the other side of renewing your mind and renewing your worship. And how simple but how hard it is for a sinful human being who the old you is still dying and the new you is still coming to life. How hard it is to take that step and go, no, I will fix my eyes on the author and perfecter of my faith. I will renew my mind to the truth of God's word. And I will make sure Jesus is the sole supreme treasure of my heart above any and every option. You are that close to walking in resurrection power, but it is that hard. And I've been following Jesus for 20 years, and still, I have not graduated to the point where it is natural for me to walk in resurrection power on a daily basis. When I wake up in the morning, if I don't make an intentional step to renew my mind and renew my worship, I will drift away in what is called the flesh. And so I want to talk about how the victory of Jesus over sin, death, and hell is an invitation for you and me today. But I want to talk about even more so practically what that looks like in your everyday life post-resurrection. If you brought your Bible to church at the 830, hold it up all over this place. Hold it up. Huge, huge. We missed you guys last week. It was a lot of people new to our church last week. They're looking around like, where did all these Bibles come from? It's like spring, got to get a ring. Turn with me to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. That is a thing in Auburn, by the way. And while I am so excited for those of you who are getting engaged and heading into a new season, I will speak this message over our seniors. Never get engaged to be married because you have nothing better to do. Okay? 
Whoa! So relevant for Auburn, Alabama. Always get engaged because God has revealed to you and to multiple wise people around you not a fleeting feeling you had, not because you didn't have a job and they had a job, and so you just wanted to join yourself to their stream of income. Make sure God is the one who's revealing your next steps. There's going to be a lot about this message that I think is going to speak to people who are transitioning. Yes, seniors who are about to graduate high school and college, but also people who are hitting into a new stage. I feel like some of you are about to be new parents, some of you who are heading into maybe a new job in a new city, some of you who are back and forth about two different decisions to make. I feel like this one might hit you in a really relevant way. And I want to preach from Mark chapter 16 because this is a very obscure account of the resurrection of Jesus. If you've been coming to our church for a while, we've talked about Mark a lot in 2021. Mark is a flyby view of the life of Jesus. He has the least amount of details and the most amount of speed. He, he starts his gospel and he's like, here's the good news about Jesus, who's the Messiah, the Son of God. He, John the Baptist and Jesus, like he doesn't go to the birth. He doesn't build it up at all. It's like, here's Jesus. Here's what he did. What are you going to do with that? Here's a miracle that he did. What are you going to do with that? Here's this moment. Here's this moment. Here's this moment. And even the resurrection is this flyby. Wait, what? What just happened? It's because Mark wants to give you a flyby view of who Jesus is and make you make a decision about what you're going to do with it. And so I actually originally was going to preach about this on Easter. God gave me something different, but I love in this moment that we get to talk about it. Mark chapter 16, verse 1, if you're there, say I'm there. When the Sabbath was over, so Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Now let's make sure we're on the same page about what's happening here. The women who went to Jesus' burial site on Resurrection Sunday morning were not going to see whether or not he rose from the dead. They were going to anoint his body for his burial. This is a Jewish custom. What they didn't realize is that Jesus' body was already anointed. Remember the woman who poured out the alabaster jar on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her tears and her hair? And Jesus said, no, 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 this is right that she does this. She's anointing me for my burial. Did you know when Jesus was bleeding out, walking through the streets, carrying a cross, he smelt like alabaster perfume? Because a, a woman who was stuck in sin her whole life had been set free and couldn't help but let her life overflow in worship. So now they think they have to go anoint Jesus' body. He's already been anointed. And they're worried about a particular problem, which is the size of the stone. One of the greatest proofs we have of the resurrection of Jesus is that it would be impossible for a few of his disciples to move this stone. So they, they're going to get the body. They don't really know how they're going to get in. But I love that the problem that they were the most worried about had already been taken care of. Some of us spend our whole lives anxious about things that by the time we arrive at them, we'll be shocked how many things have already been revealed and taken care of right in front of us. And that's not like a, a loose way of me interpreting this passage. That's just the reality of being a Christian. Most of what you freak out about futuristically, by the time you get there, it won't even be a problem. Now, I would say over 90% of the things that have you anxious and fearful today are things that actually will never happen to you that God has already taken care of. So they get there, stones moved, and there's this young man there, and they are alarmed. Why? Because this is an angel. Every time an angel shows up in the scriptures, people are running away in fear, and they are hiding. 
Angels are not babies sitting on clouds playing harps, guys. Angels are terrifyingly glorious beings. There's not a time in scripture where an angel appears where people are not like, hit their face, I'm scared out of my mind. That's why the first word out of an angel's mouth almost 100% of the time is do not be afraid. And that's what we're going to hear right here. Verse 6, don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Y'all, that's the end of the gospel of Mark. And so if you're looking at your Bible physically, what you see next is some text that's probably in italics. You see that font, how it's different? Look above it. The earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 through 20. You want to know what that means, y'all? The end of Mark bothered the early church so much because it's abrupt and sudden. So they went back and added an alternative ending. You ever watched a movie that people didn't like the ending, then they added a new ending later? And it was like, oh, here's an alternative way for this story to end. Y'all, this really happened. And here's what I love about how reliable the Bible is. The Bible will acknowledge when something has been added at a later date. And it's funny when you read verses 9 through 20 because they sound nothing like Mark. The language is totally different. It's so out of nowhere. That doesn't mean that verses 9 through 20 are not true things that happen or things that you can take to the bank. It just means Mark did not write this. And I love that he actually leaves us on a cliffhanger ending where the women don't really know what to do with what they just saw, and they went away afraid. Mark wants his gospel to end in such a way where the ball is on your court to decide the ending. This is, this is powerful, y'all. And you can Google it on your own time if you're like, I don't know how reliable this is. Some people think Mark wanted to finish it, but he passed away, and so he never got to finish it. Some people think, like, well, he clearly didn't intend for it to end there, so this is like the real ending that he should have written that he wanted to write. But I would argue Mark knows exactly what he is doing in writing this. And most of Mark's account is an eyewitness account from Peter. Mark was kind of a student of Peter in the early church. And so Peter told him about the time where he was on the beach with Jesus. Remember when Jesus recreated the miracle of the fish being caught on the other side of the boat, and then he brings Peter back to the point of his greatest uh, harm when he did not confess Jesus the night before he died. And so three times Jesus is like, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And you read that and you're like, he's torturing Peter. He's bringing him back to his moment of shame. But actually what he was doing was healing him because for Jesus to heal you, he has to go to the space that you're bleeding out the most. And so he has to touch that spot that it's like, that bothers me. And it's like, I have to get you better on this because I've got something more for you on the back end. Mark could have included that. He could have included a myriad of different details, but yet he ends it here because he wants it to be okay that you don't know the ending. It's like Inception, okay? One of the best movies of all time. Christopher Nolan, brilliant. I don't get into all these arguments about, well, the, 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 it was actually going to fall, or it was actually, some of you are going to go watch Inception to figure this out. It was actually a dream. It was actually reality. You know the person who wrote that wants you to be talking about this the rest of your life. He wants you to wonder how, what really happened and what's reality. That's what Mark is getting to at the end of his gospel, because he wants you to know the resurrection of Jesus is not a way of concluding his story. The resurrection is the doorway to a new beginning that you get to participate in. So the women run away, trembling and bewildered, 
And we know other accounts. We know the story. They end up testifying to the disciples and what Jesus does in the following days. But really what Mark is doing is he's going, resurrection has landed at your doorstep. What are you going to do with all of this? And the women are trembling and bewildered. They're afraid. But I want you to know the choice is yours whether or not you want to respond to the resurrection in fear or faith. And I believe today that on the other side of Jesus being risen from the dead, there is an invitation to new life because resurrection is not the end of the story. It's the beginning of a new one. And it's the beginning of a new one that can be marked by a new level of faith overcoming every fear. The resurrection of Jesus is not just eternal fire insurance for us to know that when we die, we're going to heaven forever. The resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate invitation in living a life that disarms fear and anxiety and worry. The resurrection is your permission slip to not spend the rest of your life like the rest of the world does. It's, it's God going, hey, if I've taken care of your biggest problem, your biggest issue already, how will I not also graciously give you all things? And how will I not also take care of every little detail of your life? I love that we sang a song to start this gathering called Breakthrough, and we're asking God, come give us breakthrough. Here's what you need to know. Because Jesus rose from the dead, if you never get another breakthrough for the rest of your life, you've gotten one that has changed everything because of the cross and the empty tomb. You've been given a new invitation to live a life that's not marked by the things that mark everybody else's story. And so when God downloaded this to me this week, I was like, I don't, I don't know how that's going to play. I don't know how people are going to receive this. But this is really what this message is all about. If your story is resurrection, you have no reason to ever go back to self-protection. If your story is resurrection, you have no reason to ever go back to self-preservation. And I feel like so many of us live our lives trying to preserve every detail of our families and every detail that we're trying to maneuver and manipulate and calculate about our story. When God goes, hey, 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 I took away the thing you should have been the most afraid of so that now you get to live the rest of your life trusting that I'm in total control and knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is absolutely nothing to be afraid of even if the worst happens. This is what the Apostle Paul demonstrated to the church at Philippi. Remember Paul was imprisoned, and he doesn't know whether or not he's going to live or die. He might, get, he might actually get executed for stuff that he's been accused of, but he actually might get set free. So he's writing to this church that he absolutely loves, and he's like, listen, I don't know if I'm going to live or die. And I'm kind of torn between the two because I would love to stay here and continue to minister on planet Earth, but I'd rather depart and be with Jesus, which is better by far. For Paul, the worst that could happen to him became the best thing that could happen to him. How much does that disarm fear? Like the worst thing that could happen to you today and the worst thing that could happen to the people you love, let's not, I'm not trying to be morbid, let's just have a real conversation, is that they stop breathing and their life ends. It's the scariest thing that can happen. And yet what the resurrection of Jesus does is it reframes the worst thing that could happen to you as the best thing that could possibly happen to you because to be with Jesus is better by far. And so resurrection is not just about disarming hell's power to accuse you in heaven eternally. The resurrection is about disarming the things that hold your mind and heart paralyzed away from the purposes of God. Christians among all people on planet earth should be the most bold, living in 
like faith that makes people go, how do you have this kind of peace? And how do you have this kind of clarity? And why are you making a decision like that? We cannot afford for people who agree that Jesus rose from the dead to spend their lives in self-preservation like the rest of the world around us. We should look weird. We should look strange with some of the decisions that we are making because Jesus' victory has become our victory. And that's not just an eternal victory. It's an immediate one. And the most immediate need I believe our country and our world has right now is that we are completely paralyzed and taken captive by fear. We're the ones who are running around terrified. We're the ones who are running, running around trembling, bewildered, wondering what is going to happen next. And I just feel like if people were more aware of what happened when your life was resurrected, it would change what you worry about the most. It would change what you care about the most. Matt Cole and I were talking this week and just talking about different aspects of the resurrection. We were talking about Mark's account and how weird it is that he just ends it with, no, no resolution. They're just afraid, running from an empty tomb, wondering what this all means, and that's it. Mark leaves it up to you. But then we were also talking about Matthew. Something weird happens in Matthew when Jesus dies. Some of you have never heard this. Matthew says, hey, when Jesus rose from the dead, it was like 500 other people who rose from the dead. And you're like, wait, what? What? Some of you have never seen this before. I'm going to show it to you in Matthew chapter 27. I just want to read it real quick. This is the moment that Jesus dies. Watch this. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Amen. Every time I read that, I'm like, give me the presence of God. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Why does no one ever talk about this? It's like, I don't think we know what to do with it. Like when Jesus rose from the dead, resurrection was so powerful that God couldn't help but bring other bodies out of the ground. And holy people are raised to life. Now you got to keep in mind, these, this version of resurrection is different than Jesus. Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. That means Jesus is the first person to be resurrected in his resurrected eternal body. All of these individuals were kind of revived back to life, still in a sinful, dying body, just like Lazarus, just like Jairus' daughter. This is a, a small picture of what Jesus is going to ultimately do, which, by the way, the fact that Jesus was resurrected in resurrected form needs to inform the way we think about heaven all the time. You know in eternity you're not going to be an angel. You're a human. This is something I'm so passionate about, guys. I don't like when people pass away and we say things like, eh, God got a new angel. It's like, no, even better. Hebrews 1, God got a human. Like that, that's who you are. And the reason why we bury people into the ground is because one day your spirit that goes to heaven now when Jesus returns is going to be reunited with your body. And Jesus is the, the first fruit of that resurrection. So his body is a picture of what our bodies will be like, which means in heaven you are going to be the perfected physical and spiritual version of yourself. Like your body right now is going to be resurrected and raised to new life forever. What did Jesus do when he was resurrected? He went for walks. He was within time and space. He walked through doors that were locked. I think we're going to be able to do some cool stuff, but it's cool to project that because listen, this is how you're going to live forever. And no one ever talks about this and no one ever thinks about this. And it's like, how much does just projecting your eternal existence rob you of feeling any need to worry about what you're worried about right now? And then these people, so all these people get up out of their tombs and go back home. Think of this scene in Jerusalem. It's like your, your grandfather walks back in. It's like, we had your funeral. We told stories about you. We like, 
you're back? And it's like, I don't know what happened, but I, I'm here, and I bet you, I'm just, and Matt and I were just projecting this. I bet you the rest of the time that they had on planet Earth looked very different post-resurrection and second chance. I bet you if you ask them, hey, are you still worried about what you were worried about before you passed away the last time? Like, I, I'm serving a God who has the power to grab my life out of the grave, and so Forgive me if I don't really have time to spend my life in self-preservation, freaking out about whether or not we're going to be able to pay the bills, freaking out about whether or not we're going to get that opportunity or this kid's going to grow up to be like this or that. I can't spend the rest of my life paralyzed by things that don't matter to me because my story is built by resurrection. And when resurrection is the foundation of your story, it's your permission slip to live a bold life. So my vision for the message today, y'all look up here, don't miss this. I know some of you are writing, but this is very huge that I see your face when I say this. My vision today is to talk some of you out of living a mediocre, prosperous, safe life. Like I want to beg you to not let that be your story because resurrection's involved. You got rescued from that. I want to talk you out of just settling for status quo. I want to talk myself out of just what's good enough and what feels comfortable and what feels like what I want right now. I want to talk you out of that, and I want to talk you into doing something crazy. I want to talk you into making it normal in your life to do things that make no sense to anybody else around you who doesn't know Jesus. I want to talk you into making a move for the glory of God and going, okay, Holy Spirit, if you don't come through, I'm not going to make it. And I also want to acknowledge when we talk about bold faith, too many times we talk about, okay, you're going to go do something crazy. You're going to start this venture. You're going to move to this city. You're going to move. Hey, sometimes bold faith looks like being faithful in the same place for a long period of time. Sometimes that takes more faith than moving around, skipping around your entire life because these people make you mad enough or because this situation wasn't good enough. I'm not saying bold faith is all about going and doing something far away, crazy, but I am saying it happens in such a way where you are called to do something that makes no sense to you, but you know the Holy Spirit is on it and you realize you have nothing to be afraid of because you're gonna spend forever in heaven and the resurrection power of Jesus lives on the inside of you. I wanna talk to some of you who are about to go through a transition and I just, for some of you, these are your last couple weeks with us, and I want to beg you not to go chase what the rest of the world is chasing. If you have resurrection on the inside of you, God has changed everything. But the key, and the key to your pursuit in staying in this lane and staying in the zone of bold faith is staying aware of the fact that God rose you from the dead. I believe part of our identity crisis as Christians and part of the fact that or part of the reason why we struggle so much in following Jesus is because we literally have amnesia. We forget so quickly what has been given to us in the resurrection, and we forget so quickly who we really are in the sight of God. And that's not just like every once in a while. I mean on a daily basis. I am so sinful and so broken that my heart and mind have to be reminded, hey, he really did rise from the dead. You really did rise with him. His death was your death and his new life is your life. And you literally on planet earth right now have absolutely nothing to be afraid of. That is why fear not is the most common command in the entire scriptures. Over 365 times the Bible says don't be afraid. You think God's trying to say something? Every day. There's some bonus ones, so leap years. It's true, every day, you do not need to be afraid. But I believe the reason why we stay in fear is because we lose our awareness of what happened when God rose us from the dead and what the gospel really means for the daily life of a Christian. So this is when this sermon gets super weird. I feel like God wanted me to talk about Jonah 
as an example of this. And if you've been coming here for a while, you know I reference Jonah a lot. Jonah is the only prophet that Jesus directly aligns himself with. He says, just as Jonah was in the fish for three days, the Son of Man will go into the grave and come out. Which is an interesting like, comparison because you're like, okay, swallowed by a fish, already hard enough for me to believe. And Jesus goes to the one example in the Bible that I think is the most difficult for us to wrap our heads around to when a fish vomits Jonah onto dry ground. And he's like, yeah, the grave is going to spit me out because it cannot hold me down. But the story of Jonah is so much better than what you got at Vacation Bible School, y'all. It's so much better than up. He was called to go to Nineveh to preach, but he got on a boat to Tarshish, and then there was a storm, so they threw him off, and then a fish swallowed him, and then spit him back up, and then he went back to preach, and then he got mad at a plant, and then it ends. (laughs) You need to read Jonah sometime, because some of the stuff is just funny. But in the story of Jonah, there's this one, there's so many details that hit me as I read it. But there's this one detail, and when I preached on it a couple years ago, I was like, wait, that doesn't make sense. And it's when Jonah is swallowed by the fish, and he recounts the moment he was spit back up based on a prayer that he prayed. Now, Jonah writes the whole account after all of this has happened. But I want to show you, if you want to turn there and find it, you can. Jonah chapter 2, and we're going to read all of Jonah chapter 2. And I just... I don't know who this is for, but I think God's going to use this. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Listen to this prayer. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, And the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I love that. Literal. He's like, I remember it. There was seaweed on my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you... Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. You might have a version that's even better. It says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So much I want to say. When Jonah recounts what has happened to him, he points out that it's not circumstance that hurled him into drowning in a sea. It is God who has cast him into the realm of the dead. Did you notice that? You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the waves are breaking around me, seaweeds wrapped around my head. But notice Jonah says this. He says, I will look again toward your holy temple. If you're drowning in a sea, 
How do you look toward the temple of God? Now, this is where this message can get really deep. When Solomon dedicated the temple to God, this is before Jonah's time, he dedicated it with a prayer that God said yes to. And, and Solomon prayed. He said, God, I'm going to dedicate this temple so that if your people, if, if we ever run away from you and we end up far away from you, make this temple such a beacon of hope that wherever the people of God are in any season, if they turn, not just physically, that's why Daniel faced Jerusalem, by the way, not just physically, but spiritually, if they turn toward the temple, you will hear from heaven and you will answer their prayer. And Jonah's going, I'm, I'm, I'm in the, the depths of the sea and my heart is turning toward the temple of God and my prayer is heard from heaven. So God is the one who hurls Jonah into the depths and then, watch this, God is the one who provides a way out. Some of you don't realize this, but like the gospel account in your own life personally is one where God let you get to the end of yourself. And God also let that lead you into coming back to him. And then it says, I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. But here's what hit me about this. Jonah's recounting almost dying, being swallowed by a fish, and a prayer that he prayed about God's deliverance. But here's what I want you to notice. Go back to verse one. This prayer was prayed from inside the fish. So Jonah's saying, this is my prayer and praise of grateful deliverance. But the thing he got delivered from was dying, drowning, and the position he's in is dark in the intestines of a whale. And he's going, I'm in the dark. This is the weirdest sermon I've ever preached. I'm in the darkest place I could be, yet I, with grateful praise, will shout to you. And we go, hey, Jonah, I know you're excited about the fact that you didn't die, but you know, you're still in a really bad spot. You're in the belly of a fish. You can't even see around you. You're still in a really uncertain, weird world all around you. And you know what Jonah would say? He would say, my awareness of the fact that I should be dead and now I'm alive has robbed me from being afraid of what everyone in my position would be afraid of. It has robbed me of spending the rest of my days going, yes, I'm in a weird spot, and yes, life is dark all around me, but I'll be fine because I was about to die and he saved me. And if God's going to go to those lengths to save me, even if I die in the belly of this fish, it doesn't change. Salvation comes from the Lord. And that, listen, that is the key to living a resurrected life. It's an awareness of, if you did that for me, even if this gets bad, even if this is super dark all around me, I have nothing to be afraid of. In fact, I have everything to be grateful for. Did you notice that at the end? This is so key. With shouts of grateful praise, I will sacrifice to you. You wanna know grateful praise is the doorway to getting your heart aware of resurrection once again. This is, this is so deep. Our world and even Christian resources have prescribed methods to rescuing us from the depression and anxiety and fear that so many of us live in. And, and most of the Christian prescription looks like declaring truths from God over your identity, which is powerful. It's good. So I think it's good to go, I feel unworthy. God calls me 
worthy. I feel unqualified. God calls me qualified and called. I feel shameful. God calls me forgiven and free. It's powerful. But I think what's more powerful for walking by faith is to go a step higher than declaring truths that are now true about yourself. Proclaim truths out loud that give praise to the name of Jesus and watch your soul start to soar on another level of fearlessness and faith. I like, I love declaring truth over myself. Miles, God calls you his son. You have a new identity. So good. But I'm telling you, there's something, there's a boldness that comes over me when I talk about him that doesn't come any other way. And when you taste and see that the Lord is good and you start letting your redemption story become a song of praise, I found that shame and fear start to get disarmed in my own life. When I'm driving down the road and I just start thinking about it, I just start thinking about him, I start thinking about Jesus, and I go, man, you are so great. You're so good. You're so much better than the way I've acted today. You're this story that you're writing in this book, it just blows my mind. You are amazing. You're beautiful. You're so kind. You're so patient. You're so loving. You're so graceful. You're so in control. You're so everything I'm not. You're just, you're God. And I start like letting that come out of me. All of a sudden, fear has no place in the heart of a worshiper who's overflowing with grateful praise. But you're not going to be able to praise like that if you don't live with an awareness of what's yours in Jesus. So here's what's yours. You have been rescued from the depths of hell that were rightfully yours because of the wrath of God. Man, there's a lot of progressive Christianity that makes me super nervous, especially for our young people who are being taught things like a loving God would never hurl a sinner into an eternal hell separate from him. Do you guys know the arrogance it takes to tell God who he should be from the eyes of a human? Some of you young people need to listen to me. Hell is real and it is a place of eternal duration and more people will go there than end up in the kingdom of light and in heaven forever. And if you're within the sound of my voice right now and you find faith in Jesus rising up within you during this message, guess what? You're not one of them. God has chosen you to be a part of his family by the blood of Jesus. And you get to spend the rest of your life thanking him for that. And it is that thankfulness that robs the enemy from being able to scare you with things that now you're able to sit in like Jonah and go, yeah, it's scary. But I know what happened to me. And so I'm going to make it. And even if I don't, better by far, like Paul said. I don't know where this hits you. And I literally told Matt, I was like, he was like, when do you want me to come up? I was like, I don't know. Maybe when I start talking about Jonah. And I, I literally just felt like God had given me some ideas. But I think some of you need to acknowledge that it is not me talking to you. It's not a well-crafted sermon because it's not even that. It's the Holy Spirit reminding you you have nothing to be afraid of. Be obedient to what God's revealing to you right now. There was a series that we did back in August called Fresh Wind about the Holy Spirit. 
such a good series if you weren't a part of our church for it because I thought, you know, what if God reversed this whole season of not meeting together and brought a fresh wind through our church, like used ACC to put wind in the sails of people who feel like they're running out of energy, running out of joy. And I believe God did that. I, and I believe we're a part of that even where we sit right here and right now. But a couple of months after we preached that series, of course, the largest worship band in the world releases a song called Fresh Wind. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Couldn't get this two months earlier. Could have been singing this. But I just believe God has made us, and it's, it's small, like what God's doing in his kingdom all over the world. We are such a small piece of that. But this is so special. And so our prayer as we sing the song that we're about to sing is that fresh wind would be carrying you as you leave today. And maybe if you walked in feeling beat down by fear and death and indecision, that you walk out with clarity about who Jesus is. And if you don't know him, it doesn't take much. All you have to do is invite him into your life and tell him you want to follow him for the rest of your life. He will fill you. You can put your notes away. Let's stand up all over this room. I believe this song is going to minister to you. Would you just bow your head right where you are? And if you're comfortable, would you just turn your hands toward heaven? Heavenly Father, I thank you for breathing on this word. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would just say something. I know you are saying something so specific to people who are struggling today. I pray they wouldn't leave this place and return to that position of fear. I pray we wouldn't leave this place and just go back to the way life was before. God, that we would be emboldened to walk away from the resurrection as a new beginning. Thank you, Jesus, that your victory is our victory, but it's also our victory over what we're afraid of. Oh God, I pray that a fresh wind would blow and that we would walk away as the church of Jesus Christ, not looking like the rest of the world, not settling for mediocre, not falling back into just coddling all of our comforts and trying to make the best of things right here, right now. But I pray we remain a body of believers that's ready and willing to lay it all on the line because Jesus, you gave it all for us. And so if we get you forever, that's all we need. Speak to us now, God. Minister to us now. Meet people right where they are. In Jesus' name, amen.